This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with University of Utah football star Clark Phillips. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each and every week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In this episode, University of Utah football star Clark Phillips III, the La Habra, California high school four-star recruit, rated the number four cornerback in America, two-time All-CIF, three-time All-Orange County and Defensive Player of the Year, and an All-USA first-team selection, shares his life off and on the field as a gentleman, as the son of a preacher man, giving us an inside glimpse into how he was raised by his amazing parents and how he prepares physically, mentally, and emotionally to play the most stressful and demanding position on a football team, a cornerback, a shutdown man-to-man cornerback defensive back, teaching us how we too can also rise to the occasion on every play and become the champions we need to be in our industries for our families, for our our businesses, and for our world. This episode is brought to you by my dear friend Craig Marsh at Advanced Windows. So, welcome to the show, Clark Phillips. Man, thank you for having me, man, and I I can't appreciate that uh, introduction enough. That, That was super strong. I question whether that was even me that you were introducing, man. I really appreciate it. You're so humble. So... At the University of Utah, Division One school in the Pac-12, for those of you who ha- haven't followed us lately, we compete against amazing schools like USC and Oregon and UCLA and Arizona State, some of the great iconic programs in the country. And so we're always competing with the biggest named schools, the largest programs in the country for elite athletes. And coming out of La Habra High School, down there in Orange County, California. Clark Phillips was a two-time all-CIF, which is all-world, basically, because you live in California. And he was a four-star recruit. He's the highest-rated recruit that we've ever gone after and actually landed at the University of Utah in the history of of our athletic program. And so, Clark, let's just cut right to the chase. So what we understand is that on... On signing day, where we sign our letter of intent, the rumor on the street was that you were headed to Ohio State. Is that correct? That's true. That's true. What made you change your mind and and, and swap your four-year future to come to the mountains of Utah and partake of our amazing quality of life and the huge fan base that all love and adore and admire you? Man, so it started with just, you know, early on it was a coaching change, uh, you know, some weeks out, really about months out before signing day. And then it was me doing more of my homework on my own and my my dad doing his homework on the University of Utah and um, them staying engaged the entire time. Even while I was committed to, you know, Ohio State, I was still talking to Coach Shaw, still talking to Coach Witt, and I still had those relationships and they were still active and they were still engaged with me. And so as soon as any type of, um, you know, uncertainty came with my other program and uh, Ohio State, I just felt really, really good about things. And, you know, I kind of gave them the word that I was thinking about it. And 
come signing day, I was ready to make that decision, and the rest is history. I love it. And we honor you. So it's so cool to see the gentleman out of his helmet. Our seats are on the 50-yard line, fourth row, and he is such a superstar. But we, with my wife and my daughters who have a crush on you, they never get to see the million-dollar smile and see the humility and the great personality that you bring to the table. So we're all curious about how you were raised by your amazing parents. So your dad's name's Clark. That's right. Your amazing mother's name, Lakeisha. That's right. And tell us about how you were raised. One thing maybe that you learned from your dad and one thing that you learned from your mom that has made you this compete, competitor and this elite athlete that, that you are, not just on the field, but the gentleman off the field. Man, my parents were a one-two punch. They were both resilient in, in their style of teaching, their style of loving. Um, my mom, I start with her, you know, she taught me really how to love and how to, you know, be affectionate, um, and everything, you know, whether that's, you know, relationships, uh, football, whatever, just do it and do it at a high level. Right. And do it, you know, like you really do love it. you know, that's why I say be affectionate. And so, and that's one of the things that I feel like can carry over, you know, to every part of life, uh, every aspect of it and something that I'm always thinking about and trying to be cognizant of, you know. And everything I do, try to do it to the highest level, try to do it to the best of my ability. Um, something that my dad taught me, uh, just, you know, be a hard worker and do everything with a resilient spirit. So, you know, I say that just because, like, you know, sometimes you'll go through things or, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll hit a brick wall in a sense. For instance, we just lost, you know, this past weekend, you know, and we feel like we just hit a brick wall. Similar to last season, we lost to Oregon State. Um and we had to, you know, kind of reevaluate, reevaluate things and kind of re, you know, establish who we are as a team. And, um, you know, I say be resilient because you just have to continue to go, continue to fight and continue to just be the best and, you know, just dominate every single thing. And um, another thing was the faith piece of, piece of it. My dad's a pastor, you know, has been a pastor since, you know, I was young. And so that's another thing that he's kind of instilled in me and instilled in my, you know, my other siblings as well and something that will always kind of stick with me. I love it. So from a football player's perspective, the offense has the advantage. They know the, the play, they know where they're going, and they know the snap count. The defensive line and the linebackers, we had the advantage of using our hands and, and, and fighting against the pressure that, that would basically take us to where the ball was going. But as a defensive back, especially as a cornerback, my friend, that is the toughest, the most stressful position on the entire field so why in the world with your athleticism would you settle in on choosing the toughest position to play on any team on every single game day man great question you know and I think it kind of goes back to you football for me um I played a lot of running back growing up and as the game kind of shifted to more of like a seven on seven throw the ball style of game um, my dad ended up telling me and my brother, like, I think this is where, you know, you're going to make your money, you know, and we both, me and my brother, both running backs at the time, looked at him like, dad, like, I don't know about that, because usually, you know, in youth football, the corner was like the kid that, okay, you know, it's kind of was okay, but the running back and the quarterback, it was like, you score touchdowns, you're the guy, and so we didn't understand it then, but as soon as we made the transition, you know, after ninth grade year of high school at St. John Bosco, that's my, the first school I started at, you know, I, um, I really fell in love with it, and I fell in love with just the techniques, the idea of kind of guarding the best guy on the field, having to, you know, stop, you know, him from scoring, completing passes, 
all of that stuff. And that was something that I kind of really gained a love for early on in high school. And then I, I really understood that it was the hardest position on the world, probably or on the on the field, probably like my second year of high school when we ended up both going to La Habra High School. Me and my brother wanted to play together. And um, that was something that we both got to, you know, kind of do. And we did it at a high level. We both played at outside cornerbacks. And wow. it was special. It's an experience I'll never, ever forget. So after this last game, the loss against UCLA, and this podcast is evergreen, so this might be listened to 10 years from now, but in a game, a key pivotal game in the Pac-12, the University of Utah was, I don't know if they were beat or defeated by UCLA, as the classic line is, time ran out, but you didn't lose. And you had a pick six at at the end of the game, and usually that's up for celebration, and as I was watching the game, my friend, your head was down. It was non-emotional. You almost rolled the ball back to the referee. There was no celebration. And in that moment, I wrote down one of my favorite quotes that defines Clark Phillips. A champion is only a champion when losing hurts worse than winning feels good. Mm. And when I could see that with my brothers and all of our our, our, our our fan base that are just focused and locked in on every play that you perform because you always play at the highest level and you never take a play off. I couldn't, I couldn't help but get emotional and say, now I know who Clark Phillips really is. Where did you learn that sense of, of you better give it everything you've got when less would be sufficient, you better play like it's your last play because you might not ever get another one? Man, that that was that was strong. That was deep. It, you know, I'd say it just my upbringing. It was the foundation. Um, my father, my mother. Um, I even give it to my younger siblings that they even established in me. You know, we're we're a competitive household, and we wanted to win at everything. I mean, from me and my brother being fourteen months apart, you know, uh, we just competed at everything. It could have been, you know, who's gonna get to the to the laundry room the fastest to do the like I'm getting my clothes in there before you because I want my clothes clean for tomorrow you know and so it was just everything and so I I feel like just us having those values and us you know just being competitive in everything it makes those moments just so hard and it was like even though you know bringing up that plague and even though I had a you know a big play and what felt like a it should have been a big moment it just it it felt like it was all for naught and it, and it broke me even more that I couldn't do it it's like sooner you know it broke me even more that we were still losing the game that it meant nothing and that's why you know every single time I was asked about it or congratulated for a game we didn't win the game and we didn't win the game and it, it you know it was so it was even more frustrating and painful being in the end zone realizing looking back at the sideline and seeing kind of the hopelessness of like this really doesn't do anything you know you know, and that, that kind of broke me a little bit. And, you know, same like you, I kind of got emotional in that moment too. Like, dang, kind of my friend, my teammates came over and they're like, man, good job, you're a warrior. And I'm like, apologize, fellas. We should have done this sooner, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it all it all works for the good of his purpose. So do you agree that pain is a signal to grow, not to suffer? Once we learn the lesson the pain is teaching us, the pain goes away. So in life there's no mistakes, only lesson. That's the truth. That's in the a truth. game, there's only mistake. There's no mistakes, only lessons. So, what did you learn from that as an individual, and what did you learn? You think as a collective team from the loss to UCLA? Man, I'd say you know, like you're saying, 
Coach Scally, he always tells us, you know, do it now. Do it right now so that you can, you know, reap the benefits later. He always says the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. You know, you don't want to be in those big games, those big moments, regretting some things. And so I feel like, uh, you know, we do things right in practice. We do everything right throughout the week, and then we celebrate on Saturday. We dominate, and now we're celebrating big victories. We couldn't celebrate that pick six because it was the pain of regret. We didn't do enough, whatever we were supposed to do during the week, to, to, to come out with the victory. And so that's why we couldn't celebrate in the end zone after that pick six versus the week prior, that pick six. We were all happy. It was like, oh, let's do it. Let's do it. We made it. We did it. We, we, we dominated this week of practice. We dominated these guys across from us, and now we can celebrate. That one was not filling because we didn't, you know, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. You know, we had the pain of regret in that instance. So I love quotes. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your level of preparation. You fall to your level of training, which means pressure is not something that's naturally there. It's created when you question your own ability. And when you know what you've been trained to do, there's never any pressure. That's why we train and practice so hard. So what do you do to increase or focus in or celebrate your physical preparation, your mental toughness, and your emotional resiliency that you can teach those of us who are now fans who no longer play on the field in the world of business, in family life, in school, fellow teammates, fellow classmates. Teach us what you do to increase that mental toughness, to, to prepare yourself physically, and, and to make sure you have that emotional stability no matter what. Man, so I, I try to start with just a lot of uh, meditation, a lot of visual, visual, visualization. Um, that's been a big part of my process. I started doing yoga as, when I got out here to Utah, um, hot yoga in specifics. And I feel like that's been a big key factor in me kind of building that emotional just resilience as well and that, that kind of fortitude to be able to kind of go through some uncomfortable things. You know, being in a hot yoga uh, sauna is, is tough while you're doing, you know, rigorous exercises. Um, and, and different stretches that, you know, kind of push you to your limit in a way, and then you're doing it in 130 degrees. It's, it's a lot tougher um, to, do that, to, to do that type of thing for a long period of time. And so I feel like I try to prepare myself week in and week out to be emotionally capable, to put myself in those situations of, dang, I'm uncomfortable, this is hard, I'm tired, you know, and to be able to kind of think clearly in those situations, that's where I've tried to kind of focus my game on and uh, kind of focus my energy on this this year in specifics. I feel like I started it maybe two years ago when I started doing yoga, but that's been something that um, I try to focus on now. And yoga, I say visualization, meditation, that's something that I do daily. You know, it starts off with even just this, me starting off my day. I'll start off, you know, waking up, say my prayer, you know, brush my teeth, and then I'm just visualizing everything I've got planned for the day. Got a nice whiteboard. Um, sounds kind of kindergarten, but I write everything down. Absolutely. Um, from goals to, you know, to scriptures, the scripture of the week and, you know, the just different goals that I kind of want to accomplish throughout the day. And it starts off with that and then weekly goals, then monthly goals, and then what are my season goals? And those go, you know, on and on. And so I feel like the closer look that I get on my goals daily, it'll set me up to be more than satisfied at the end of it all so I can stay on track and not feel like I'm falling behind, especially in a season that we know is so long. I love it. So – in football and sports, we have to believe that no matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. You can't always control what happens, but you can always control what happens right now. This episode is brought to you by Advanced Windows, number one supporter of Utah athletics. So let's say you just got burned for a first down. What do you do mentally and emotionally to respond immediately because in 25 to 30 seconds, there's going to be another snap. That's right. And you better not 
you better not wallow in your misery and cry over yeah. spilt milk. You've got to fire back up. Teach us what you do to immediately let go of the past, learn the lesson, and cinch it back up, cowboy up, and fire up, because you have to. You have no other choice. Teach us. Man, playing corner, like you said earlier, is a difficult position, and you have to have probably the most confidence on the field because receivers got to score touchdowns too. Running backs got to score. And so who score, who do they score on? DBs. And so – for me, it's like um, rather than trying to lie to myself or tell myself, oh, you, you know, I try to build it on just a, a solid foundation of real confidence and all the work that I put in, all the work that I put in throughout the week. I have supreme confidence when I go out there that I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing exactly what I've been doing for, you know, the 10,000 rep rule or something that I, you know, read the book, just 10,000 hours of everything. And so for me, it's like I'm just playing through my technique and I'm playing, you know, the reps that I've already acquired and accomplished. Now we're just putting it on film. And so for me, I try to tell myself, it's nothing that this guy did that's amazing. It's what I did. I didn't, I didn't have good technique. So if he beats me on a slant, I got beat on a quick slant for touchdown this past weekend. And that broke me, you know. But for me, it's like, dang, all right, yep, just didn't slide inside. I didn't play my technique. I jumped the wrong route. That's on me. It's never, oh, that guy just, you know, he made a crazy play. He's Odell Beckham. No, I, I did that, you know. That's on me, and I'm going to be better. And so I always try to – I put the magnifying glass on myself, you know, before I give anybody – you know, they get credit, but it's not like, oh, he's not, you know, Superman. It's more like, all right, yep, I messed that up. He can make a one-handed catch with two fingers, you know, and I'm like, yep, just got to shoot through that hand with – my right hand. I can't. I can't do that at the top of the route. I got to be better. Got to turn and look and squeeze them. So it's always something that I could have done better. So do you watch a lot of game film to look for a tendency? Do you study a specific receiver that you know you're going to be locked and loaded on? That yeah. if you're the shutdown corner, you basically know who you're going to be with the entire day. You're dancing. You're going to the restroom with them, and 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 tell us what you're looking for in a game situation. I mean, in a in a film situation with, that will give you that competitive advantage. Everything, everything, um, for, it go, even from one receiver to, you know, his best friend, the receiver that lines up next to him often, or the tight end, or the looks that he gives his quarterback after a great completion, or the looks that he gives his quarterback before the ball is snapped, gives me good pointers for, okay, it might be coming to you. Or third down situations. I love studying situations, and I didn't really learn that until I got here. I always love studying receivers because I pride myself on being a man coverage corner um, but when I got up here, Coach Galley, Coach Shaw, and Coach Witt, they emphasize, you know, studying situations. It'll put you in the best spot. And, you know, I credit them to a lot of the plays that I've made over the last three years, the last three seasons, because um, they've really helped me kind of grow and be able to kind of manifest some of these things. And it also helps for great visualization and meditation. Um, studying formation situations allows me to, before the game, I'm like literally seeing myself in those situations. Like, yeah. all right, this is the play I want to make right here. Okay, if they do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to respond. And so being able to see that, it almost slows it down, you know, in a way when you get in those moments. And so that's something that I try to do. And it's something that keeps everything fresh, too. Uh, every single play, I feel like I've got something coming. Every player, I don't know what it is, almost like a running back running the ball. I related to that because I used to play running back. Every play, I'm thinking, yep, this is the play I get to pick six, and it's going to end the game. This is the play I get that. Yep, they're going to try me right here. It can be fourth and one, and the whole stadium knows that it's run. If I've got a receiver out there, I'm thinking he's throwing it to me and I'm going to score. I love you it. Know? And so I guess that's kind of the mindset I kind of go into every situation with. So I was appalled of how uh, how much of a lack of knowledge there was in the stands after I got through playing for 13 years. I'm sitting there thinking, man, some of these folks are a little bit stupid. <laughs> And I would have to take my tactful approach and say and remind them not every play is designed to score a touchdown. That's right. 
But one thing that I've done as a professional speaker and author all these years is to take pride in interviewing the top NFL coaches and the top NCAA coaches, asking them the similar questions to kind of get the common denominator of what they all have in common because they're playing and performing and winning every year at the highest levels, the Nick Sabans, you know, the Urban Myers, the, 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 the folks. And they've all told me, Clark, that winning and losing boils down to only six plays. So if you're in the car with me driving to the stadium, I'm going to drive you nuts. Got to look for the six plays. Got to look for the six plays. My friends and family say, calm down. We get to the stadium. We're sitting there. Was that one of the six plays? Was that one of the six plays? And they're like, will you just have another J-Dog? Will you calm down? But then on the drive home, we can decide what those six plays were that determined whether or not we won or lost. And meticulously... It, pay, it, it, it pans out almost 100% correct. We can identify the six plays, which means when I go in and work with an NFL team or an NCAA team and I tell them that, I always say, will you ever know which are the six plays, which means you can't afford to take a playoff. Mm-hmm. And if there's 11 guys on the field and 10 of them are focused and one takes the playoff, that could cost us the championship, we know the truth so how do you how do you focus we i watch you you know i was recruited as wide receiver db coming out of high school and so as a receiver you learn certain things to get open and create the separation and then as a db you can take advantage of those so i watch you and you are so amazing because you never take a play off and I guess you've answered that question before I pontificated on, on the backstory of why you don't, because you know that they just might at fourth and one when the stadium thinks they're going to run it up the A-gap. You're saying, oh, no, they're throwing it to my guy. That's right. That's so right. can you teach that to other members of your team, question number one, and when they screw up and they have their head down and they haven't had that resiliency training from these amazing parents at home or the past successes that you've had as a superstar football player and everything else you've done. The two questions, what do you say to them to get them to stop wallowing in their misery, fire back up that this is the next play and you can't afford to take a play off? Or tactfully, you see somebody lazy, somebody winded, and you got to say something as a leader on the team to fire them up. Please address those two questions. You're, you're solid, you're mentally tough, and now it's your responsibility on the field to keep your, your, your teammates focused because once the game starts, the coach is stuck on the sidelines. Somebody on True. the field has to, has to make a play, and sometimes it's not a physical play, it's an emotional play. It's the truth. You're there for your teammates. Teach us about that, my friend. Man, so every play is a big one. Every play is the most important play at hand. You know, we talk about getting 12 opportunities guaranteed, uh, you know, in NCAA football. And, um, you know, depending on how you get those, how you take those opportunities, you know, you can possibly become bowl eligible, eligible, or you can possibly be in the playoffs. But you got to handle the opportunity at hand. This is the most important game right now. This is the most important rep right now. This is the most important play. And so I feel like um, going on the field, you know, being a team that we send a lot of pressure, I'll kind of go off on 10. We send a lot of pressure. We send, you know, that's that's one of our, you know, our styles. Oh, yeah. and Coach Skelly. And so teams often will go hurry up offense and try to speed things up. What does this do for us? If they get a big play, now you're right back out there. You know, it's like, okay, who they make the play on? Now that guy's thinking, oh, dang, this this really just happened. And now they're about to run another play. i got to look to the sideline and get my call again. And so being a part of that 
one of the things I was saying yesterday, you know, while some of those things were happening is, hey, man, I go to war with you every day. Hey, I got you. Let's go. I believe in you. Still trusting you, man. We good. We good. We're but This is the play right here. I was telling Zamaya Vaughn and Travis Broughton, every single series that we went to the sideline, I'm like, we're about to make the play of the game. We were giving up some plays. We were giving up some big plays, and it hurt so bad, and I can see it in everyone's eyes. We're all feeling it. Yeah, it just happened. Yep, he just scored. Or, yeah, he just made a big completion on us. Hey, we're about to make the play of the game. We're about to make the play of the game. This is going to be because of, just because just because we gave that up doesn't mean we can't come back and end this thing. And so every single um, – every guy started kind of echoing different things in their own terminology, in their own language, and it was beautiful. And I think it all comes down to kind of love for each other. You know, Coach Kelly talks about, you know – we're not going to just beat teams and great teams just because of individuals or just because this guy is great, just because that guy is great. It's going to come down to how much that we love each other. How far can we go when our backs are up against the wall? How far can we continue to push when we've been punched in the face? Are we going to look around and think around, you know, who's, who's, who's here now? Or are we going to kind of look at each other? Yeah, well, it's good. We're, we're fine. We're, we've been here before. We're good. I got faith in you. If you got faith in the next man, you know, and the, the man next to you, we can go a long way. And so that's what I would kind of say to do, you know, just can encourage um, and then move on. Every plays, you know, the biggest play of its own. Absolutely. So growing up, you and I and your dad, my dad, every fan has heard the acronym T-E-A-M, together everyone achieves more. And when I've had a chance to work with the NFL teams and a lot of the NCAA teams, I've reinstated the, the higher level, the higher belief with a new acronym, F-A-M-I-L-Y, family, forget about me, I love you. Mm. And I watch you when you come off the field, regardless of how quickly you get off, you might be on the offensive side, and they, you communicate with them. You, you take pride in basically going to the offensive side and congratulating them and being part of that side. And I watched that with the, with the Ute team. So regardless if you've won the game or lost, again, time ran out, you didn't lose. You really epitomize that family, that family feel. This episode is brought to you by a huge fan, former football star, CEO, founder of Advanced Windows, Craig Marsh. And he will take care of you just as he's taken care of the University of Utah Utes. So let's just get to more of a, more of a, an, a, a, an intense and class slash amusing side of you as we wind down our time together. Do you, how do you, what, 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 what routine do you have before a game that gets you fired up. So when we watched Michael Phelps in the Olympics, he had his headphones on before yeah. he dove in the water. We were always curious about what music he was listening to. So question part number one, is there a favorite music that you listen to before the game that gets you fired up when you're getting taped in the training room or whatever the case may be? Man, this is going to throw you for a turn, but I listen to more gospel. Uh, I have a song called Hear My Cry by Fred Hammond, um, and it kind of calms me down, and it, and it, and it kind of slows the temperament of my spirit, I feel like, and it kind of just gets my mind all the way dialed in, and, like, we've been here before, and it kind of reminds me. I'm kind of superstitious. I've tried to kind of break some of my superstitions because I don't want to, you know, allow it to mess me up. And But um, there's a couple of things that I do consistently. You know, the night before a game is that Epsom salt bath that I kind of visualize, and I'm listening to music, and, I'm, you know, making my rounds and calling my brother, and we, you know, talk. He plays actually at Tennessee State. He's a cornerback uh -huh. as well. And so we'll call the night before, and we'll say our prayer together. I say my prayer first. He says his, and 
we're just, man, what are you thinking? I'm thinking this. I'm thinking I'm going to have a pick. I'm thinking this. And, and this receiver is kind of tall. Just all that stuff. And it kind of just leads up into kind of slowing my term. Hey, well, we've been this. We've been here before. This is what we do. And um, I feel like just having those set of things that um, I consistently do, it kind of makes every single situation feel familiar. That's something that kind of it resonates with me. So no matter the game, no matter the situation, no matter if it's a championship or, you know, just the first game, the season opener, you know, it's like we've been here before. We're good. This Love is what we do. And I think that's another thing, the reason why I listen to that same song as we walk, get off the bus and then as I walk onto the, you know, onto the turf or the grass, whatever, the stadium, listen to that song again before I turn on any other music that's hype. It's like, all right, we're good. We're here. This is our song. Hear my cry. Let's play. So what's your favorite movie or Netflix special that would give us the inside scoop on what entertains you, my friend? Man, so I watch anime. I'm a little, I'm a, I watch, you know, I used to, it's crazy because I used to tease some of my friends in high school, um, really in middle school a little bit. And then my freshman year of high school, I'm like, why do you guys watch this stuff? A couple of football. Why do you guys, like, what is cool about this? And man, oh man, when I started watching it, I'm like, this stuff is so cool. This is sick. And so uh, the first one that I started watching, I can watch it any any week, any day. It's called Baki. My dad used to call me Baki like my senior year of high school because he used to always catch me watching it. And it even got to a point where my family would tease me. My brother's like, bro, like, and then he started watching it. And they're like, why are you watching it? Like, that's, is that like an adult cartoon? Like, what? Is, I'm like, it's anime, you know, and I with a straight face. I'm all serious. And um, but Baki, you know, and I, I'll go into a brief you know, description of who he is. 17 years old and probably understood him the most when I was a senior because similar to me, he was 17 years old. He was built like a rock. He was fast, he was strong, and he was super smart. And there's all these ethical dilemmas within the show between his girlfriend, between, you know, his parents and his parents. You know, he's like the strongest. Everyone inside of this show wants to be the strongest ever. His dad is the strongest in the world, and so he aspires to be the strongest in the world. But he lives with his dad, and he's like, but dad, like, you know, I want to, you know, be the strongest. So he's asking him for tips, but he wants to be, you know. So it's 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 a great show. Uh, you know, shout out to Baki. You know, he kind of gave me motivation <laughs> Uh, throughout, you know, high school and things. And, yeah, that's something that I watch. Okay, so what's your favorite kind of food? And then there's the second part of the question. If you are left in your apartment or your home, what's your, what's your, what's your default meal that you cook for yourself? Favorite food, and then when, you're, when you have to cook for yourself, what do you do? Favorite food right now would have to be some carne asada tacos. Got to have some green onions, you know, white onions, and a little bit of green sauce. You know, and maybe some guac for maybe one or two bites on the side. And then um, favorite meal, like default meal, easy, quick, simple. Man, it'd probably be just a PB&J sandwich. It's quick. It's to go. I have a meal plan uh, with 1%. They got some good protein-filled meals. Um, promise you I'm not trying to shout them out. But, yeah, they, they, give, me some, uh, they give me some nice meals and everything. But, uh, yeah, default probably on the go. And I'm probably just putting together because it got some nice protein in it, too. Probably just a PB&J. Okay, so we're winding down our time. How do people follow you if anybody's interested in the NIL opportunities because you're su such a smart, intelligent, cr crazy, competitive gentleman? Oh, I appreciate uh, it. You're going to have an off awful lot of opportunities out there. I know you have a business plan. So when football ends for you, and obviously you're going to play at the highest level, you'll be playing on Sundays. But when, when football ends in just a short answer what are your plans and give us a way to, to 
keep in touch with you, to follow you on your social media or whatever? So first off, uh, my you, you can follow me on Instagram, Clark Phillips the third, uh, three L's. I don't know why it does it that way, but three L's and then same thing on Twitter. That's my handle, and um, you know you can follow me, reach out, uh, and I'll respond. And um, yeah, so my plan. So I'm actually in the School of Business, David Eccles School of Business, um, majoring in marketing um, and then minoring in management. And so you know I do that because I feel like I'm a leader um, naturally and. It's something that I've kind of had to develop as well. My dad, you know, has been a healthcare executive for quite some time now, along with the pastor. And so he's had a lot of experience, you know, being a leader. And I've kind of been groomed under it. And it's kind of been my personality, but being able to watch him kind of be a leader of men kind of helped me out. And so I feel like that's something that I want to be able to do as well. Whatever industry, I don't know if I want to be in healthcare, um, but I wouldn't be opposed to it, to, to it either. And so I think that that's something that I want to do somewhere in business, you know whether that be in sports. I would love to stay around sports um, or anything. I love vans. Uh, I used to roller skate a lot. I still do a little bit, not during season, um, but those are just a couple of things about me that I love, and, yeah. So there you have it. Power Players with Dan Clark. My guest has been Clark Phillips the third. That's three L's. And, you know, as we talk to corporations, as we talk to schools, as we talk to families, you are the message, and, as a, as a huge fan who bleeds Utah red, you represent us on, on the field and off the field. You're one of the classiest uh, gentlemen, student athletes on our team in the history of the University of Utah, and it's been an honor for you to be on our program. So remember that you are the message, and Clark Phillips III represents all of us at the highest level possible. Go. Thank you for having me. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.